This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Tonight on Huckabee, former Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, Family Research Council's Tony Perkins, Lori McLemore and her caffeinated comedy in the feel-good harmonies of Sequoia South. That's Trey Corley of the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Welcome, everybody. We have a phenomenal studio audience. We're so very happy to have you. Earlier this week, bad news across the globe. Queen Elizabeth has passed away at the age of 96. And it's hard to imagine that she's not going to be the queen. She's been the queen for over 70 years. Now, to put that in perspective, Harry Truman was president when she became the queen of England. And she has had a remarkable life an honorable life, and I think all around the world, people are appropriately paying tribute uh, to this uh, incredible monarch who guided England in the post-World War II era through all kinds of crises and uh, truly left an indelible mark, not just on the UK, but upon all the world. And our condolences go to her family and to all of our friends in the UK and... uh, We just pray that uh, the memory that she will have from all of these folks will be pleasant and beautiful. They deserve to be. God bless, and we can say, God save the queen, and God save now the king. Thank you very much for just remembering this lovely, lovely lady. Now, I don't think you could have possibly missed seeing the frightening and Halloween-like speech that President Biden gave in Philadelphia on September the 1st. But in case you did miss it, I've got a clip for you. Get off my lawn. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn now. Yeah, you see, I'm calling Joe Biden's speech the get off my lawn speech, because that's what it felt like, didn't it? But... so. The worst of it was not the utterly creepy, blood-red, dark, Nazi-like background or even the strange presence of two Marines at full attention in the background. And by the way, for them to stand still that entire time is deserving of a medal. I mean, the background was absolutely the worst ever for a presidential speech, but it was what Biden said that made it utterly stunning in its dishonesty, hyperbole, and hate-filled, raging partisan bile. I mean, he called half of America fascist, unpatriotic extremists who are the enemies of democracy, all because we didn't vote for him. Folks, that speech made me real proud I didn't vote for that angry old geezer. 
I mean, come on. I mean, if you watch the speech, he needed his wife to walk him to the podium so he didn't get lost or wander off looking for ice cream. It was just so <laughs> surreal. A speech like that would normally result in him being captured by the men in white coats and taken in for evaluation. But a lot of Americans missed it because even the Biden buddy major networks wouldn't air it. And the loons on the left who run CNN and MSNBC, they pretended that it was wonderful because after all, it did blame Donald Trump for pretty much everything, you know, everything from wildfires in the West to fully vaccinated and boosted Jill Biden getting COVID twice in two weeks. It was all Donald Trump's fault, every bit of it. Joe Biden's weird speech was darker than a Batman movie when the projector lamp burned out. That's how dark it was. But there were more head-turning reasons to be shocked by what was really the most bizarre speech ever given by a U.S. president in my lifetime. And folks, I've heard speeches all the way back to Eisenhower as he yelled into the teleprompter like a rabid dog howling at the moon. He said some stuff that made the crazy uncle in the attic seem about as normal as Norman Bates providing room service for Janet Lee at the Bates Motel. <laughs> a handful of people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the rest pretend, oh, I never saw that. Oh, I... I mean, I was wondering, was he auditioning for the sequel to the movie Scream? He blamed Trump voters, or as he called the 74 million Americans, who, by the way, are prouder than ever they didn't vote for the angry old curmudgeon. He called us all MAGA Republicans. I'd say, yep, guilty as charged. Because most of us, well, we really do want to make America great again. Yeah. And you know why? <laughs> Unapologetically, we like energy independence and gasoline under $2 a gallon. We like groceries that we can afford without having to sell a kidney to pay for bacon. We actually like a secure border instead of the disaster that we have under the current president where two million people have already illegally crossed the border this year alone. And it's often to traffic little girls as young as six or seven years old who are sold into sex slavery and raped as often as 40 times a day are maybe who bring in thousands of pounds of fentanyl that kill over 100,000 American kids every single year in all 50 states. And this is from the finest homes to the ghetto. It's yet another Chinese communist poison allowed into our country. So yeah, we MAGA Republicans like that in the four MAGA years, there were no new wars started. We didn't leave $75 billion worth of military hardware for the Taliban. And we didn't abandon hundreds, if not thousands, of Americans in a godforsaken country that we bugged out of in such a haphazard, botched way that it resulted in the deaths of 13 servicemen and women who did their duty to the death. We like their courage. So, yes, we think America is greater when we value every human life as having intrinsic value and worth, and we're repulsed by having babies torn to shreds in their mother's womb, all in the name of healthcare. We believe in real free speech, and not just the kind where the only voices that are allowed are the radical voices from the left that want to cancel those who disagree.
We believe in American manufacturing, a military focused on a fearsome strength rather than having quotas and touting its tolerance for deviant lifestyles instead of its ability to stage and win a war. And we believe parents... We actually believe parents have every right to know what their children are taught in school. We think speaking up at a school board meeting. We think speaking up at a school board meeting is not domestic terrorism. It's called citizenship. And we believe that teaching four and five-year-old kids about sex at school is nonsense. So MAGA Republicans believe that it's child abuse to surgically alter 14-year-old kids to change their God-given gender or give them drugs that irreversibly and chemically castrate them. But yet we won't allow those same kids to bring a Bible to school or to pray. You see, one thing Joe Biden is right about, he said this is a battle for the soul of our nation. That's true, it is. And the choice is clear. And the choice for our future is yours. Well, I mentioned Joe Biden's disastrous Afghanistan pullout, which was emblematic of the Biden administration as a whole. Feckless, flailing, and failed. It also brought to the surface the importance of holding our leaders' feet to the fire. My next guest did just that, and he risked his nearly two-decade-long career to take a stand for what he believed. Marine Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller is next. Don't go away. We'll be right back. MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. Former Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller had a distinguished 17-year career in the U.S. Marine Corps. Well, that is until he posted a video on Facebook calling for accountability from leadership following the disastrous U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan last summer. For that, he was imprisoned, court-martialed. He's now a civilian. But he's still calling for accountability in his brand new book, Crisis of Command, an outstanding book. Please welcome to the show, Colonel Stuart Scheller. Colonel, that was the same kind of welcome you got at the Pentagon when you did that Facebook post, didn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> but these folks, I, I think you're going to find, are a little different than some of the people that you encountered. You made a Facebook video after the decision was to leave a lot of Americans stranded behind. We were all heartbroken at the 13 servicemen and women. But it was also a disaster to think that we left $75 billion of military hardware and hundreds of Americans that we said we wouldn't leave behind, and yet we did. You said there was no accountability for that. What welled up in you? I mean, this was a, you knew it was a career ender for you to do this. 
but you did it anyway. Yeah. Why? I mean, this is something that I've spent my whole life doing. I've studied foreign diplomacy. I've deployed to Iraq, Afghanistan. And when you're young, you have all these ideas. You're idealistic. You want to serve. You want to go to the edge of the empire. You want to leave a better America for your children. And through my career, I became disenfranchised with the way the system was working. It became more about career progression and pleasing your boss than these values that are espoused on an everyday basis. And I got to a moment where, as a leader, I was an equivalent of a mid-level manager, a battalion commander, I could have remained silent and complacent. And then I felt like that almost indicted me as part of the problem. And I didn't go into that day expecting to make a video, but it was one of those things where I needed an outlet. There was no publication that was going to publish those honest words. There was no process in the military system that would have accurately addressed them. And I really didn't have any recourse. And I knew from my experiences that not only would no senior leaders accept accountability, but that they would spin it as a success. The, the military has figured out how to weaponize the narrative. And I've watched this take place. Um, Hollywood's part of it. I mean, I grew up watching Black Hawk Down. You watch that, it's, you want to run through the streets and be one of those warriors in Somalia. If you study the operational failures in Somalia, it's very disheartening. And so I felt service members deserved honest, accurate, timely assessment of failure because that would validate their sacrifices more than all the you know, go to the counselor because you need help because you're struggling with something without acknowledging the real source of frustration. I remember seeing that first post that you did and subsequent things that you said. The most powerful statement of all the people that were involved in that, not one person got fired for what happened, that you were the only person in the entire military who lost his job over what happened, and it was because you spoke out. That's right. Now, you knew they were probably going to come after you, right? I did. You expected that you would probably lose your uh, commission. You would end up getting drummed out of the military. What I thought would happen would they would fire me. There would be an investigation that would take place. I would ultimately be relieved, but that it would start a conversation. And if I was a leader of any organization and you have a mid-level manager that speaks out and taps into a sentiment of a very large population, you need to reprimand that employee, get the order back in the system, yeah. But then you take that employee and you go around the organization and you address the source of frustration because that's obviously a cancer in your organization, right? Yeah. And, and so that is what I expected from my leaders. So I was willing to give up my continued advancement to, you know, I thought that the risk would, the gain would outweigh that. And so if they took me around and talked about, hey, you're right, we made mistakes but the mistakes are made, but let's figure out how to fix the mistakes so that going forward, there's not an unnecessary loss of life. I mean, that's, that's what it's about. It should be about protecting the service members, making us a more lethal organization. That only comes through honesty. I know that there were many people up the ladder of rank that were very angry at you and wanted to just do whatever they could to destroy you. Underneath you in the rank and file was a different story. Tell us about that. Yeah, I was, first of all, I'm pretty tough to destroy. So I think they, they underestimated that. <laughs> Number two, I think there absolutely was. There was a sharp divide. It, the junior service members felt like they finally had a voice 
Um, and so when I was going through my ordeal, I mean, I made that first video at the end of August. It didn't get out until Christmas Eve. There was a large portion of that time where they, I was still coming to work every single day. And if I, when I drove through the gate, the gate guards were hugging me, taking pictures, mm. you know, hanging out with the junior Marines. But then I'd go into my office where I was like, I had a detention office where I had to sit like outside the commanding officer's desk so he could like stare at me. And so like being put in the corner of school, right. I right? was in the corner and all the other field grade officers, it was just this, you know, you know, a shift at work where we just kind of mean mugged each other and no one was happy. So it was, a, there was a sharp divide. What was the public reaction? Because there was an outpouring that I, I was watching where people appreciated your candor, your honesty. They recognized you weren't asking to be let off the hook for taking the position, but they appreciated the guts you had to say, hey, something went wrong there, and we need people who are accountable for that. The American people are the most compassionate people in the world. I truly believe that. And so, and you started with, if you're a leader and you make a mistake, all you want is ownership. I mean, even going through my ordeal, there was many mistakes that I made, but when people are observing an individual trying to do the right thing and has humility, the American people circle around that individual and want to protect yeah. that individual. And I felt like that's what the American people did with me. You know, you can go online and get lost in, you know, the tough guys on Twitter. But the truth is, every time I go out and I talk to someone and I talk, engage with crowds like this, I overwhelmingly get support. And what I've really realized is how hungry the American people are for leadership and courage. Because kind of almost across the board. Uh, I think you're right. And by the way, I'm not sure that the Marines, uh, you know, they may not want to continue to call you Colonel, but you're always going to be Colonel Scheller to me. You earned it. You've shown your courage. This book, I've read most of it, Crisis of Command. If people want to know something about what's happening in our military from somebody who's experienced uh, how harsh it can be for those who have the courage of their convictions, this is a book you'll want to read. And Colonel, I want to say thank you for being here. Thank you, thank you for being an example of somebody who says, my country means more than my personal career. And that's the position you took, and we thank God for it. I hope people will pick up the Colonel's book for even more of the story that you've heard just a snippet of. The book is Crisis of Command. It is available right now. It's easy to get the book because we made it easy. We've got links. All you got to do is go to Huckabee.tv. We have direct links to how to get the book. Right now, Keith Bilbrey, he's going to make something easy. He's going to make it real easy to know what we have coming up on the rest of the show tonight. Well, pack your bags and grab the kids. We're about to visit our kind of town. Then comic Dory McLemore just ahead on Huckabee. You know, whenever I get an itch to learn about all American towns, I just go to our resident expert, Keith Bilbrey, because this week he went fishing and he caught something fantastic in North Carolina for our kind of town. 
In the mountains of Western North Carolina is the last outpost and gateway to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, the beautiful town of Bryson City. Bryson City was founded in 1889 and is surrounded by the best nature has to offer in any direction. It's scenic everywhere. Picturesque downtown is loaded with charm and an example of small town America at its best. Take the self-guided walking tour and see all the interesting places. And oh, smell that delicious scent of chocolate wafting down the streets. Well, you've got to go to the scrumptious chocolate shop, a sweet lover's paradise. Just follow your nose. Now, after that, head over to the stately historic courthouse where the Visitor Center at Swain County Heritage Museum is located. You'll learn all about mountain living. Now, after you explored the town, outdoor adventure awaits in every direction. There's fantastic white water rafting and the Nandahala River. You can fly high through the forest on one of the many zip lines. There's endless hiking trails, an actual road to nowhere. Hard to explain, you'll just have to see it for yourself. Head to the Lionel Crane Museum for a fantastic collection of countless scale model trains on display. Then hop on one your own size for a train excursion on the Great Smoky Mountain Railroad, which at Christmas time transforms into a wondrous Polar Express. Like fishing? Well, you've come to the right place. Bryson City is host to some of the most diverse fishing habitats in the world. So naturally, you'll get to see the Fly Fishing Museum of the Southern Appalachians, and then take a fun tubing trip along the meandering Deep Creek. Relax at one of the mountain spas or go glamping. That's right, camping made fancy. You can camp in a luxurious tent called a yurt. And wonder if there's room service. The area is just loaded with interesting places to see, like the American Museum of the House Cat. I bet there ain't no rocking chairs in there. Nature explodes in Bryson City and is the perfect escape for couples, families, and outdoor lovers of all ages. And that's why it's our kind of town. I always have so much fun exploring these great little towns across America. And to think we've got the American Museum of the House Cat, yeah. the Great Smoky Mountain Railroad, and the town of Bryson City to thank for helping us do just that. By the way, if you want to find their website, real simple, go to Huckabee.tv. We got a link right there to Bryson City. And you can plan your own trip to Bryson City, get some of that chocolate, ride a horse, do all the cool stuff. I know you're going to enjoy it. Now, my next guest is an inspiring and hilarious comedian. You might know her from Michael Jr.'s popular Funny How Life Works podcast, or the Talk is Cheap talk show, or maybe from her own best-selling women's devotional book called Hope Looks Good on You. It's a pleasure for us to welcome Dory McLemore. Give her a big welcome. It's so great to be here tonight. A little bit about me. My husband thinks I have a dull ADD. Uh, he wanted me to go on one of those websites to take one of the tests to see if I have a dull ADD. But um, do you know that there are pop-up ads on those websites? <laughs> I don't think that's fair. <laughs> I may never know if I have a dull ADD, but I got an amazing deal on car insurance, so. <laughs> 
I love shopping online, um, but I did not realize this until recently that we are actually competing for things online with robots. Yeah. I was trying to get a movie club membership, and I don't know if it was the way I was typing, but all of a sudden it asked me, are you a robot? <laughs> and I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> and they're like, we're going to check. And up came that robot test, and it said, identify all the images that have storefronts in them. And I panicked, and I all of a sudden can't remember what a storefront looks like. I'm like, that's a building. Are they selling stuff in there? <laughs> Is there a storefront in the distance, though? So I start picking all the images, and then I failed the robot test. <laughs> and some robot is running around with my movie club membership. <laughs> Now, I could be bitter about it, I really could, but instead I decided to be polite to all the robots in my life. I say please and thank you to Siri. I try not to skip too many songs on my Alexa. And if I see a robot vacuum that's stuck, I help it right away. <laughs> Hey, I just figure if artificial intelligence takes over, we have some kind of robot invasion, I need them on my side, okay? I need them to remember she had manners. <laughs> The good news is, in case there is a robot invasion, we now know where to hide. Storefronts. <laughs> They cannot identify them, so you're welcome. My mom thinks that Siri has a crush on my father. Sometimes she just calls me to make me listen to the way that Siri says his name over and over again. She says, Dory, do you hear it? She's saying, tell me, tell me, it's flirty. I was going to get them an Alexa for Christmas, but I was worried about their marriage. So my mom, I love the way she only voice text. She never uses her fingers, even when it's not a great time to be talking. I've seen her do this. Yes, we are sitting in the front row. Yes, the wedding has already started. <laughs> And if someone sends her like a funny text, I've seen her do this. Ha, 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 ha. That's my favorite. <laughs> I love to Google things. I'm kind of a big Google fan. Um, in fact, right now I'm seeing Dr. Google, where you Google your symptoms and then diagnose yourself and then drive yourself to the hospital. It's fun. <laughs> like last month, I thought I had rubella. Pretty sure I was vaccinated for that as a baby, but the symptoms were dead on. I just do that because I don't like going to the real doctor, and I really don't like taking my kids to the doctor, which sounds cruel, but let me just explain. Some of you moms might secretly relate to this, but my kids, they would be lethargic on the couch. I would be spoon-feeding them cracker crumbs, saltines, name brand. And then I would finally, I'd call it, I'd say they're sick, Let's go to the doctor. I would hand over the copay. And what happens? They're fine. 
they're fine. They're sword fighting with the tongue depressors. They're wrapping themselves up in that sterile paper. They're doing the Superman across the room on that stool. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. God did not just heal you. We paid the copay, okay? We are leaving here with drugs. See, I believe in healing, just not after the copay, y'all. <laughs> I don't believe in cooking. I mean, I believe it exists, but I don't want to do it. <laughs> Somebody actually asked me to make a meal for someone who is sick, and um, I don't think I said anything out loud, but I think she could see the terror on my face. And she said, oh, no, Dory, you don't have to make two meals. Just double what you're making for your family. <laughs> How do you double cereal, okay? <laughs> do you send over extra milk? How do you, what do you do? Actually, I'll, I said I'll pray about it, which is Christian for no. Thank you so much. I'm Dory McLemore. Oh, thank you, Dory. I love the idea that praying about it is Christian for no. We all, we all got that part, didn't we? Yes. Well, to see more hilarious clips of Dory McLemore, or you can pick up her brand new devotional book, real simple. Go to Huckabee.tv. We got links to all things that Dory is up to, including this book. Right now, Keith is going to induce us a little joy. He's going to tell us what's still coming up on the show. Well, up next, Family Research Council's Tony Perkins. Later, the amazing harmonies of Sequoia South on Huckabee. One of the best things I love about this job hosting this show is that I get to hear all of the music of the best band in America, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Give them a nice hand. As we head into the midterm elections, Joe Biden is ramping up his attacks on so-called MAGA Republicans. Democrats are looking to keep control of Congress at the same time. Now, they're using new powers of the IRS and its massively expanded budget to target conservatives as well as Christian ministries. Family Research Council is just one such group. It's now under attack by the federal government. And to tell us about that, please welcome to the show former state lawmaker of Louisiana, ordained minister, and longtime president of the Family Research Council, Tony Perkins. Tony, great to have you here. Good to be with you, Governor. You know, I, I heard that the IRS is targeting Family Research Council. And I'm thinking, you guys, I can't imagine why you're a threat to America. Well, because we believe in the truth. Uh, that makes us a threat. <laughs> I guess today. it would to some people. We had uh, just recently 40 Democrats called upon the Secretary of the Treasury 
and the IRS commissioner to investigate the Family Research Council and our tax status. Now, that's not new. The Democrats have long been using government as a tool to silence, intimidate their opponents. But the thing that's disturbing is that this means that a nonprofit organization like Family Research Council that basically exists to help equip pastors and Christian believers to understand what the issues are going on in Washington so they can make contact with their members of their congressional delegations. You then have to spend donor dollars. You have to spend a whole lot of time dealing with all of the government agents who come in and demand to go through all of your records. Right. So it's a distraction as much as anything. Well, it's, it's a distraction t- for us. It's costly for us, but it's, a, it's an intimidation to others. It's basically saying, look, if you don't want to go through what they're going through, you need to be quiet, not oppose our agenda. Governor, the bottom line is the reason groups like ours are targeted is because we work to shape that public policy in Washington from a biblical perspective. We still believe there's truth. We believe that the Bible is true. It's good enough for the, na- for the founders to build a nation upon. Yeah. We believe it's good enough to govern a nation by today. Absolutely. And, and Tony, I, I would say not that it's a, a, a pleasure, but it's a real compliment that they've targeted FRC. If you weren't effective, they wouldn't care. But this is still a very disturbing trend that we're seeing. It, it won't get better with 87,000 no. new agents. You're absolutely right. This is a harbinger because with all of these new agents, I mean, they're not going to be checking tax stamps at the border. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're going to be knocking on the doors of law-abiding citizens who oppose this administration. Look, you know, you read through history and you wonder, how does a country become totalitarian? Yeah. We're watching it. Yeah, we are. And what we have to do as Christians is that we have to be involved in elections. You talked about it in your opening. Yeah. We have to overwhelm their corruption. We have to overwhelm their intimidation at the polls and not be intimidated. The president's speech last week, you know, instead of playing hail to the chief, they should have been playing highway to hell. When you look at <laughs> What a perfect song that would have been for, for that speech. That was about, you've been in politics a long time. Yeah. You had the door to your office nailed shut. Yes, I did. <laughs> you know the tactics they use. That was a voter suppression speech last week. Yeah. The president was trying to intimidate every one of you and all of your viewers saying, you don't want to be tagged as one of those MAGA Republicans yeah. because the IRS may come to your house. And we cannot give in to the bullying of the president or anybody else who's trying to steal our freedom here in America. Do you worry that there will be vast numbers of Christian people who just don't want to have to fight and they'll they'll just cower down and say, well, I'm not even going to vote? There will be a portion. Now, I will tell you that there are many Christians who we vote not because we're in allegiance to a party, but it's... It's because we're called to be salt and light. Yeah. And, and as I do agree, as you said in your opening, the president was right on one point. We are in a battle for the soul of the nation. But I would go one step further. His policies tell us that we're in a battle for the soul of our children hmm. because they're trying to indoctrinate our children with a radical ideology. And if we stay home and we're intimidated and we're silent and we back up out of fear of being labeled or somebody saying something about us, we will lose our children and our country with it. And that is too high a price to pay. 
I know one of the things that uh, Family Research Council is doing, uh, you've got a, a major event this uh, coming week, because I'm going to be part You're of it. You're going to be there. Pray, Vote, Stand Summit in Atlanta, Georgia. We're going to be at First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. You're going to be there. Uh, Governor Brian Kemp will be there. We'll have Brian Stitz from, uh, Governor Stitz from Oklahoma will be there. Uh, Senator Langford will be there. Uh, uh, we'll have uh, Jensen Franklin uh, will be there. We'll I mean, we have a whole lineup for um, a focus on praying. You know, we believe, we're unapologetically Christians. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe we need to be praying for this nation like we've never prayed before. We need to be voting our biblical values, and then we need to stand for that truth regardless of what is said about us or done to us. We will not yield. We have to commit that we will never wave a white flag as long as we have breath when we're on this. 100%. It's one of the reasons that I love what uh, the Family Research Council does. It's a credible, valid, uh, very e extraordinarily important institution in our country. So check out Family Research Council online to make sure that it's easy for you to find them. All you got to do is go to the website Huckabee.tv. We have a link directly to FRC and also information about the conference this week. We kind of need to keep Keith Bilbrey in one easy place so he can tell us who's on the show. We're going to toss it over to him and see what he can do with it. Well, next, we celebrate National Grandparents Day with Larry Fowler of the Legacy Coalition. And still ahead, the music of Sequoia South on Huckabee. shop.huckabee.tv and get your very own Made in the USA Huckabee mugs, t-shirts, and more. Welcome back. I bet you didn't know that this Sunday is National Grandparents Day. I bet we've got a few grandparents in the house tonight. If you're a grandparent, would you wave your hand and yell? Yeah. Isn't grandparenting wonderful? I mean, honestly, it's so much better than being a parent. It just is. No doubt about it. By the way, do you know why grandparents and grandchildren have such a bond and get along so well? It's because they have a common enemy. <laughs> Think about that for a moment and you'll get what I'm saying. All you grandparents are saying, mm-hmm, I know what he's talking about. Well, to honor Grandparents Day, we've invited the founder of Legacy Coalition, a national ministry that helps Christian grandparents fulfill their biblical role of impacting grandchildren. He's even got a book about it called Overcoming Grandparenting Barriers. Please welcome pastor and best-selling author, Larry Fowler. Thank you, Mike. Great to have you here. Thank you, Governor. Good to be here. I've got a lot of folks across the country didn't know there was such a thing as Grandparents Day. No, I, I don't think so. It's probably one of the most overlooked holidays uh, I think on is. our calendar. You have said something in your book that I find just amazing, that you say in the Bible there is as much, if not more, uh, teaching about grandparenting than there is about parenting. That's true. But the word grandparent is rarely there in Scripture. In fact, if you were raised on the King James like I was, uh, grand grandmother's in the Bible, but grandfather's not. And yet there is, are so many passages of Scripture that talk about the role of a Christian grandparent, the role of a 
spiritual grandparent and what they should be doing with their grandchildren. So what was it called in the scripture? And, and like, for example, the King James Version, when they were talking about grandparents, but they didn't say grandparent. Well, uh, there are passages, for example, that say, teach these things to your children and to your children's children. Hmm. So we know that that's addressing grandparents, sure. right? Yeah. Even though the word grandparent isn't there. So the, that is generally the way that we find out what scripture says about grandparents. So Larry, let's talk about what Christian grandparents should focus on, how to be a better grandparent biblically. Well, to be a better Christian grandparent, number one, we need to be intentional about impacting our grandchildren with the gospel of Jesus Christ and with the principles of scripture. So intentionality is really important, but uh, one of the things that's so critical that we do is we tell faith stories. We need to tell our faith stories. We need to tell the faith stories of, that come out of scripture itself, but our faith stories are to be incredibly powerful in telling our grandchildren. And when we do our ministries, seminars and, and things like that. I often ask uh, grandparents, so have you ever told your grandchildren when you were saved, when you trusted Christ? And usually only about 10% have ever thought of such a thing. Hmm. We want them to be more effective in that. There is a stat, and I don't know exactly the number, but I heard it a few months ago, that we have the largest number of grandparents who are raising their grandchildren because the parents have checked out either drug addiction or they've just, they've just disappeared. So we have an enormous number of grandparents who are now the primary caregivers for children. That's a whole new thing, isn't it? Which means they don't get to be grandparents. Yeah. They're actually parents. Yeah. And for those children, there's not a real grandparent that is coming behind the parents as a secondary but powerful influence in the lives of grandkids. There's also the challenge it's because we're in a very mobile society. People move all over the place. So it may be the grandparents are not near their grandchildren. What is the suggestion on how to be involved in the grandchildren's life when they may be six, 700 miles away or more? Well, there are a lot of practical tools that we'll give them. We have a book on that uh, called uh, Long Distance Grandparenting. Mm. But, but they can still have a huge impact in the lives of grandkids. We don't need to be deterred by distance whether that's geographical distance that you talked about or relational distance or spiritual distance. Many families have that where the grandparents are, you know, Christ followers, but maybe their kids aren't. And so there's a spiritual distance there. All of those are barriers that, that can be addressed. If, if you had one piece of advice that you would say, okay, grandparents, this is what you need to focus on to have the influence on your grandchildren. What do you think is the most important? Influence comes through a relationship. It doesn't come any other way, it comes through a relationship. Grandparents need to lean into the relationship. First with the parents. If you don't have a good relationship with the parents, you're gonna get cut off from the grandkids. So you have to have a good relationship with the parents and then lean into the relationship with the grandchildren, but do it with a sense of purpose, with spiritual purpose, asking God, what might I say this time? What might I do? What might, what might uh, uh, guide me, Heavenly Father, as I try to have an influence in the lives of these kids? Well, I hope a lot of people will be observing National Grandparents Day this weekend. If you'd like to learn more about the Legacy Coalition and the October Grandparenting Summit in Jacksonville, which will also be live streamed. Plus, if you'd like a link to Larry's latest book and more, 
If you go to Huckabee.tv, we will connect you directly. Speaking of barriers, there is no barrier that is going to hold Keith Bilby back from telling us what we got coming up on the show next. So, Keith, it's all yours. Well, now get ready for the amazing harmonies of Sequoia South straight ahead on Huckabee. week for Babylon B CEO Seth Dillon and political commentator David Limbaugh. Well, I'm very excited about our musical guests tonight. They are a fantastic new trio that is really on the way up, and you'll find out why tonight. They met at a songwriter's night in Nashville, immediately realized that their vocal blend was something just like magic. They're now among the fastest rising group in Music City. And friend, that is saying something. Please welcome Lee, Lee Kara, Lockwood Barr, and Brian Lane, known collectively as Sequoia South. <laughs> the first obvious question, where did the name come from, Sequoia South? Well, when, when we decided to become a band, we really wanted our name to have some meaning. And I have always kind of loved the idea of the name or the meaning behind Florida Georgia Line because it kind of incorporates all the different elements of what make up that band. So Lockwood and I are both from California, uh, home of the giant forests and whatnot. <laughs> and Brian is, is a unicorn. He's local to Nashville and the area around here. I didn't here, know there so. was anyone who was local to Nashville. I know, there's <laughs> barely right? any of us left. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Sequoia South is what we came up with. And, and so you better. literally did just meet uh, hanging out in Nashville. Less than a year ago, it was pretty wild, but the, the chemistry was there. I mean, we played a show sat down to write, which is very common in Nashville. That's why you go out to these songwriter yeah. nights so that you can meet other songwriters, grow your craft. Um, and when we sat down then in the writer's room the following week, as we were building the chorus to the song where actually one of the songs we'll sing tonight, we started building the harmonies. And it was, there was magic in the air. That's the, I think is the only yeah. way we know how to put it. We just immediately, I mean, we walked out of the house and said, oh, we're a band. Period. And there you were. But, you know, it's amazing how rapidly fans have taken to your music because it's unique. It's it's uh, it's fresh. It's creative. And you're all instrumentalists as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. You play banjo, Lockwood and guitar. And Lee, you are on guitar. I am. Keyboard. Keyboard. And uh, so what's next for you guys? You got an album coming out? We're actually uh, going into the studio for the first time. Next week. Good. <laughs> My guess is it's going to be wildly successful because everyone who hears you, uh, and, and i got to ask you about that. Are you surprised by the reaction that you're getting? Because if you get noticed in Nashville, it's a big deal. It's one thing to get noticed in a little town somewhere and say, hey, we ain't got anybody else but these guys. <laughs> Everybody in Nashville that's a waiter is actually a singer who's just waiting on his next gig. True story. Yeah. It is. <laughs> I've, I've had to push back on my mom before because we'll like go get our nails done and she'll be like, my daughter's a singer. I'm like, mom, so is she. <laughs> she doesn't care. That's <laughs> but you're making it. And I think that's what's so amazing. In less than a year, you have captured the attention of the people in this business that are saying, 
Keep your eyes on these guys. And uh, can't wait for you to come back when the album's out and let us uh, premiere the album here on The Huckabee Show. Hey. We'd love that. Uh, We'd love it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you got us. Okay. Done deal. Where do we sign? <laughs> <It was> great. <laughs> Hey, Keith, while we get ready to make some music for these folks, why don't you tell our viewers how they can hear more of the music of Sequoia South, which they will want to do as soon as they hear these guys sing. You can get Sequoia South's music for free. Plus, find their social media pages, booking information, and more. Just go to Huckabee.tv for the links. Now, while you're there, check out their digital exclusive performance of Forever to Me. Now... Performing Love You So Hard with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection and Mike on bass, here's Sequoia South! I can't help myself You've got me underneath your spell you make me want to go out of my way to put a smile on your face no matter what it takes. I can't help myself. Cause I love you so hard, love you so hard, love you so hard to make it easy on me, baby. Call me off guard, call me off guard, call me off guard with the way you try me crazy. I'm gonna try, cause I know that I can fight it when I love you so hard, love you so hard, love you so hard to make it easy on me, baby. My breath, blood is rushing to my head. Every time you walk into the room, it doesn't matter what you do, you draw me into you. I can't catch my breath. Cause I love you so hard, love you so hard, love you so hard to make it easy on me, baby. Cut me off, God, cut me off, God, cut me off, God, with the way you drive me crazy. Not gonna try, cause I know that I Love me so hard, love me so hard, you make it easy on me, baby. Come on, my good. Never thought I'd give so much of my own heart away, but there's nothing to it when I. You're giving me the same And you're giving me the same Love you so hard, love you so hard, love you so hard You make it easy on me, baby Call me on God, call me on God, call me on God With the way you drive me crazy Not gonna try, cause I know that I can fight it When I love you so hard, love you so hard, love you so hard You make it easy on me, baby You make it easy on me, baby You make it easy on me, baby 